Welcome to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. This is a podcast all about human behaviour, weaving together fascinating research opinions and real-life experiences. I'll give you a psychologist's insight into how we behave in spaces we live and work in, and how they in turn shape us. This season, we're exploring my favourite topic: imposter phenomenon. So get comfy and let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back. Last time we looked at the imposter backstory and the obsession on fixing the individual. It's why I've asked you to think about imposter as a phenomenon rather than a syndrome. So let's move our focus to the spaces where the phenomenon thrives. My research shows that visibility, comparison and competition are at the heart of imposter experiences for entrepreneurs in online spaces. Yet women are getting ahead and getting things done. So what's going on? How should we navigate networks and how can we use those imposter experiences in helpful ways? In today's episode, we're going to take a look at imagined audiences and why the women who took part in my research have adapted and created ways of coping. We'll explore this through the lens of a psychological term called context collapse. And this is going to be supported by some quotes from my research. I promised anonymity to my participants, so it's my voice you're going to hear. We'll be using pseudonyms that closely match the background and generation of the women who took part. And I'm going to give you a bit of context because most of the women I talked to had been successfully running their businesses for seven years or more. The types of spaces they were in and communities they were using were paid for groups, places like doing it for the kids, found and flourish, real work, mama hive, being freelance. They were also in more transient spaces like a Facebook or a Slack group that they would have been given access to when they've purchased a course or piece of learning. So these women were members of multiple groups. And while some of the comments are attributed to specific scenarios or spaces, the quotes I'm using today are from the core themes of my research and relate more generally to imposters and experience in all of these online community spaces. How do we find spaces online that work for us? How are women ending up in these communities? Well, the beauty of online spaces and social network sites is that it's really easy to find people like us through the use of language. And one of my research participants, Erica, made me laugh out loud with her example. She said, I don't want you to refer to me or anybody else in my community as honey, sweetie, lovely. Hey, girl boss. It's not who I am. Now, Erica had a really clear sense of the group she would and would not belong to. I like to think of this as a kind of social GPS that guides us to places and spaces that match with our culture, behaviour and interests. Erica's using comparison to answer the question, are they like me? This comparison is helpful and it's essential because running a business using online platforms like Instagram or Facebook is very different to the way we might use the spaces for day-to-day friendships. For many entrepreneurs, these spaces provide peer support and access to potential customers. 
online communities also create a kind of buffer from social media. And women describe there being a risk of being cancelled or piled on. And that online behaviour feeds the fear of being found out. So that's what makes these communities so attractive. The peer support and the relative safety compared to the vastness of social media. But there's one big occupational hazard in communities and wider social media, and that's cohabiting with the competition. It can lead to exhausting thoughts about imagined audiences, and it's here that the imposter experience thrives. If our social GPS works well, We end up in a space that's aligned with our personal values and we will feel supported, but we still have to deal with the competition. Psychologically speaking, one of the reasons we have exhausting thoughts is context collapse. Effectively, context collapse is described by your psychologists as a meshing and flattening of audiences. And this happens exclusively in online spaces. It's a complete loss of context and it's the same reason that our content can be viewed by an ideal customer or a friend of your nan's. Depending on how big your network is and the restrictions you apply, the effects of context collapse could vary. And what's really interesting is that in social media, some of the restrictions you can put on are you stop following people or you can restrict your account. In online communities, what we'll discover is that there are fewer restrictions that we can place on who can see what we put into the communities. And there's a very different type of behavior that is happening. From a networking perspective, context collapse is brilliant because it enables us to acquire something called social capital. Now, this can look like shared resources, favors, or introductions. Being online created new possibilities and connections for the women I spoke to. And I want you to think about that word possibility because it's one of the ways in which we could characterize social capital. Possibility and potential lead to opportunities, but they're very difficult to pin down and quantify. Now, there are different ideas from economists and psychologists and sociologists about the way we can measure our return on investment for every connection that we make or the number of online or offline events we could join as a result of putting ourselves out there in the social spaces. I'm really interested in finding a way in which we can measure the benefit of networking. In fact, it's one of the core themes in my current research. But for now, let's consider that online networking is really important for women. Several studies show that women entrepreneurs are less likely to have access to traditional networks as men. And my imposter research backs that up because women talked about the shift to doing more business online in the pandemic, and they described it as a leveling of the playing field. But notice how that phrase level playing field, which sounds really equitable, has a sporting competitive nature. Love it or hate it, networking creates potential and opportunities that we otherwise would not have. In fact, psychologists have identified this is central to our entrepreneurial identity. But we sit awkwardly with it because online spaces weren't created to make us feel safe and supported. They were initially created as a way to connect large numbers of people with other people and potentially to make money in the process. 
But back to this idea of context collapse, I want to introduce you to some of the phrases that came up in the course of my research because they brilliantly describe the awkward relationships some of us have with the visibility that goes with networking and showing up online. The first extract is from Kayla. I want you to know that Kayla is hugely successful. She's a serial entrepreneur with a big presence in online spaces and communities. And Kayla says, there's people in my space who I respect. I have their phone number. I support them. I can't follow them for the life of me because when I'm in that moment of the imposter phenomenon going whoosh, I start to think of them. And I start to think, what would they think if they saw this? Or would they think if they knew this? And like, that's so not me. And it gets me in a space of doubt and it gets me in a space where I just want to run away. And yeah, my business requires me to be visible. Now, there was a consistent narrative from the women I spoke to about the overwhelming feeling of imposter phenomenon. They often described it as a dynamic reaction experienced in key moments. Kayla uses the whoosh of imposter energy when she considers that imagined audience. Another participant, Danielle, used an energetic phrase. She said, it's like a waterfall. Unsurprisingly, given the flood of imposter experiences mentioned by those participants, there are many references to fight and flight behaviours. If we go back to what Kayla says, I just want to run away. Kayla's comments spoke to the broader social media platforms. So let's hear what Asima said about being in an online community. I don't feel like I have a place in there. I, I hesitate so much to be able to speak up. And I don't know whether it's because I'm scared that somebody might come along and say, no, what you're saying is wrong. What struck me about this extract is that Asima is an expert in her field, qualified and then some. She shouldn't have to worry about people telling her that she's wrong. But the idea that somebody, unknown, could expose her as being a fraud was enough to hesitate and hold back. What Asima tells us is that being a member of a community doesn't guarantee a feeling of belonging or place. Despite that social GPS navigating and helping us find people who are like us, the audience is still perceived as ambiguous. Participants would use words like somebody, people, them, thinking of their community peers as a, a threat. We're going to come back to the comment Asima makes about people thinking that she might be wrong towards the end of the episode. But next up is one of my favourite quotes from the whole piece of research because it's describing a hidden imposter experience on two levels. I need to give you context here. Chloe and I had been discussing the time she took part in a group video call organised by a member of her community. One of the members was talking about an unfair customer complaint and what to do about it. And the way Chloe remembers this, the group were listening and helping her work through the problem. But Chloe was a silent participant in that process. So what we hear next is her held back thought process. Chloe told me, I sat there listening to the whole thing and everyone was like, no, you must go back. And she came back with a really great solution. What I would have done would have been to say yes to the refund and then resented it. And at the end, I was like, this has been so insightful because everything that you're saying is, I get it, but it's just not where I would have been. 
Chloe listens rather than contributes. And I know from speaking to members and founders of social spaces that participation and engagement is something that is highly valued. It leads to social capital gains. The more you put yourself out there, the greater opportunity for connection. It's curious then, isn't it, to see how this helpful and silent comparison enables Chloe to benefit from advice because she's taken away the risk of exposing herself during the learning process. Chloe's engagement with online communities might be vicarious, but it still brings social capital gains. She still has access to other people, their thought processes, other resources, but importantly, she's learning through the process, not just about what she should do, but comparing herself to the communities, enabling her to think about how she approaches business. Here's that second level of imposter. Chloe also went on to tell me, I was going to say to her, you do have to be careful where you share. Now, what I love about this specific quote is the way Chloe experiences the risk aversion that we associate with imposter experiences on behalf of someone else. Chloe's fear of exposure is projected silently but urgently. Although she wanted to say something to another member, that concern is held back and the concerns that the participants gave for their peers during the research illustrates that there are different risk appetites amongst members in those communities. And I love how it shows the protectiveness group members feel too. At the start of this episode, I said that we would move our focus to the spaces where the imposter phenomenon thrives. You've heard how entrepreneurs like Erica are using language as a way to navigate a really saturated environment. Her comment made me laugh because it resonated. I've never considered myself to be a girl boss, for example. But I know that sentiment is an example of the way we use language as labels and hashtags. And it's one way of finding and experiencing belonging in online spaces, especially with the vastness. The strength of our reaction to some of these phrases can tell us a lot about where we think we will belong and how comparison is useful. Erica's seeking out a corner of the internet, or as some of the entrepreneurs I spoke to called it, digital rooms, where they would feel that they could belong. I picked out quotes from Kayla and Chloe to compare and contrast the imposter experience between social media and online communities. Kayla was using avoidance tactics so she wouldn't see the posts of other entrepreneurs, whereas Chloe was joining in and following the experiences of peers silently. It's worth mentioning that in online communities, there are fewer ways to unfollow or see what other members are posting. But my research shows that this is managed because members like Chloe get to sit behind the scenes and observe what's going on. It's another useful way in which comparison is showing up. Asima's quote is different again. She said, I'm scared that somebody might come along and say, no, what you're saying is wrong. Asima is anticipating that imagined audience and that they're going to tell her that she's wrong. Is this Asima's problem though, or is it a societal one? Instead of the old imposter advice to feel confident in our abilities, where is the practical advice on how to disagree and deal with objections? Where's the evidence that our online spaces are places where we can respectfully debate rather than denounce? 
Now, according to the psychologist Amy Edmondson, this belief that we could be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns or mistakes in a workplace is known as psychological safety. So it's interesting then because for entrepreneurs, this belief transfers to the online space and that fear of getting something so wrong that we might be cancelled and that would be really bad for business. It also looks like the fear of being exposed, which feeds those imposter feelings. Hopefully today's episode adds an extra layer onto the idea that women are not the problem. Comparison is long thought to be a negative trait of imposter syndrome, but it's actually a tool we can use to navigate spaces and consider what is going on behind the scenes. Communities provide fewer tools than social media to block or limit what we see our competition getting up to. But they play an important role in normalising what really goes on behind the perfect Instagram grid. They reduce those imposter experiences. Coming up next on Psychologically Speaking, I'm delighted to have Christina Clark and Laura Stern from Work Culturati along for a chat about all things psychological safety. So we're going to be having a good look at all the things that we can do to create spaces that eliminate that imposter feeling. That's it for today. I hope you learned something new, or perhaps I've given you a new way to think about what you experience. A quick reminder that rating and reviewing all the podcasts you love really does help other people find them, which is especially appreciated by independent podcasters. For more psychological insights, you'll find all the ways you can connect with me in the show notes. Thanks for listening to Psychologically Speaking with me, Leela Ainge. Bye for now. Thank you.